I mean, I feel like we have several technologies uh, that have suddenly landed here, uh, including this kind of, you know, AI that sort of really works and isn't a joke, and things like CRISPR that um, let a an individual or small group kind of get in and start doing some serious DNA hacking. And suddenly we had this situation where an individual has a lot of, of power to cause mayhem. It can happen. And there are a lot of people that have that same technology that don't cause mayhem. A lot of people that can do good with those same technologies. But the, just the mayhem factor is is pretty new. And I think in society that, I mean, the closest thing is like, whenever we had, you know, the Second Amendment or something, and somebody said, yeah, everybody ought to be able to have a, you know, a gun to protect themselves against bears and indigenous uh, who don't like us. <laughs> you know, that the mayhem that you could create with one of those underblesses was pretty small scale, unless you convinced everybody else to go along with your mayhem plan, but that is not really the case with these technologies. Computer engineer and AI expert David Demaris joins John, Susie, and Scoop on this episode of the Plutopia podcast. We discuss chat GPT and artificial intelligence, Microsoft's Bing chatbot, deepfakes, dangerous technologies, bad actors, and much more. Dave's joining us for our discussion of artificial intelligence and, and I also said and robot wisdom that's what that is so uh, and the first question I had in the uh, description of our talk tonight uh, Dave is uh, will chat GPT take over the world is that a good start yeah it's okay I mean it's it's really uh, got its <laughs> at least as much mind share as it does deserves to have right now it's uh seems to be all that you know almost everybody i knew was talking about for uh, two or three months there um but how will it take over the world well can you can you just one real quick question because there are a lot of us who really don't know what it is and I was wondering if you could just break it down real quickly before you tell us that it's going to be our overlord well, are, are you asking what artificial intelligence is or what chat GPT is? What chat GPT is. Okay. So chat GPT um, released by OpenAI last year is uh, the latest in a series of packagings of uh, this, what's called large language models and uh, Large language model is what happens when you take a neural network architecture invented five, six years ago, maybe, and turn it loose on all of the data in the world. You know, a very large uh, <clears throat> set of writing so that it uh, is able to somehow regurgitate uh, variations on everything that it has seen. Okay. Now, I am. When I look at this, I am a little unclear on whether that's all that's going on because uh, a lot, a lot of the critical analysis that I see says I know what a transformer is. I can try to explain a little bit about it. What's different about other neural networks? But um, 
I, I am not completely sure that it's it is all that you see when you look at uh, Chat BT, GPT or Bing is is strictly a transformer. And the the sort of one of the big critiques of transformers is that all they are is a prediction engine that is predicting the next word, um, which is oh wow, you know. <clears throat> um, and and it's looking at a pretty big window of what came bef before. That was that was actually one of the uh, the sort of breakthroughs in uh, <clears throat> generative language models like this from the past because they typically had a, a pretty small and a pretty fixed window, and the sort of big breakthrough in transformers was you would have this layer called an attention attention, well, <clears throat> set of layers called attention heads. And there were several of these things. And the idea with these is that you would actually train them like how far back in time or how far back in the text stream the important word for predicting the next sentence was. And they would play these kind of games during training like what's called masking out an area. <clears throat> so you say like, here is we know that what should come next in the text is this, but we're gonna sort of block part of it out. And then you have to predict what should what should fill in the blank there. And that was to give you some insight into which, which were the most important, when you, when you would like fail and get better and better at that prediction, these transformer heads would say like, you know, it's actually, so many words before that actually are important to determine what should come ahead in this language, in this kind of conversation. So that was kind of the new magic of transformers compared to the previous generation of, you know, translators and right. uh, okay. you know, bad joke creators and whatever you know, okay. Turing test things were up. So I don't know if that's helpful or not, but that was, that was a big deal. So, when I have interacted with, with these things, um, you know, when, and, and I have actually done a little bit of professional work on chatbot, chatbots, not really with this generation of things, things that are a little bit more of the old school, um, you know, chatbots that basically are just matching templates, looking at phrases in what the person says or typed and trying to look through its database and you know, come back with something and maybe like what you get when you chat with the Mac people or whoever, is that what you mean? Like, it'll just say someone will be with you in a few minutes and it's usually a bot anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's sort of more bot level thing. But I mean, the group that I was doing this with, and I feel like myself were, you know, reasonably sophisticated and, you know, know that this isn't like, this is not great. So what can you do that's better? And, you know, I'm just sort of looking at it. So within the, uh, the field of linguistics and where it uh, meets up with AI, whenever you're talking about the structure of dialogues and what people are doing when they interact with one another, that sort of subfield of linguistics is called pragmatics or, you know, to some extent like dialogue theory. And... Um, <clears throat> So I feel like in a lot of ways, that is one of the least developed areas. It is one of the ones that is least developed in, in terms of AI. Um, it, it can kind of bleed over into 
sociology or social linguistics to some extent and uh, kind of bleeds over into acting theory and, and directing. So uh, and that's that's actually when I was working this job with a team of of writers, uh, we we did some things like just trying to make the dialogue expressive. We would say whatever comes out, like if this is going to be a response, we should look at it in terms of uh, what it's what you're trying to, what's the intent of this statement and, and kind of mark up the, the emphasis on the words to express that. And, and this is something that I pulled straight out of a, an acting textbook here by Mary uh, Pineo, who was a, <clears throat> a teacher in Austin for a while. So there's, you know, there's a certain amount of crossover between people who are working on dialogue agents prior to Transformers and some of these other kind of theories. Um, so there are ideas like, um, you know, when you're reading a text by Shakespeare and you're an actor and you're trying to figure out line by line what's going on, you might be asked to say like, <clears throat> break the text into sections and figure out like, what is this character's motivation during this oh. section? And oh. how are they trying to change the mind of the other person in the dialogue? So basically getting rid of any kind of thinking that one might have to do when one reads a classic like Romeo and Juliet, you just, you don't figure it out for yourself. You just wait for someone else to tell you. No, I think that um, the acting student is supposed to figure out for themselves, but you know, there's, they're supposed to kind of get below the surface and, and imagine that, you know, okay, like a character in a play, can be deceptive, they can, or in real life, you know, they sure. have some agenda. Um, there's a, yeah. uh, you know, there's there's a small school, at least uh, one fellow I've run across in social linguistics, I guess, or sociology, who asserts that in a conversation, you know, every statement that anyone makes is always an attempt to assert their power or dominance or change the status relationships with them relative to other. I think maybe that's a little bit extreme, but you can certainly see a lot of that that happens in the real world. Yeah. And some of it is very innocuous statements, maybe just twisted in a certain way or something. So um, I also had some background in, uh, let's say like, I guess they would call it like linguistic anthropology where they talk about things like what in a culture, um, how do you do a greeting when you come into the room with, you know, old friends or people that you're going to do business with or family or strangers, what's the kind of first engagement protocol? What do you have to do? And what does it mean if you do it wrong? You know, wow. Are you kind of flipping the table and saying, oh, no. <laughs> and so does this is, does this thing speak other languages? Uh, are you talking about like now we talk back to the, the chat. chat? Yeah, I'm just wondering if you. Well, I like, just want to kind of rewind back or circle back yeah. and see like how does all that stuff that I just talked about uh, have anything to do with chat GPT? So what right. I would say is that the the raw transformer that uh people came up with about five years ago 
was pretty good at generating human-like text better than before, but the longer you let it run, the more sort of rambly and hallucinatory and weird it got. And, you know, it was kind of like, it wasn't going to fool anybody, right? So when I look at something like ChatGPT, I suspect, and, and this goes sort of the, you know, being Sydney thing too, that people who have some more familiar familiarity with this level of, you know, dialogue agents and, and sort of human communication processes um, are in the mix somehow. And, and I think there's a sort of bigger architecture that is sort of running the narratives and calling up templates for different kinds of dialogues and then saying, okay, transformer, you know, this is where we're at in this, like, sequencing through a certain kind of dialogue. Now do your job and pull things up. And they're still looking at what has been said above in the dialogue. But I believe, I get the sense um, that there's a little bit more going on than just the Transformers. So when people say, this is what Transformers are, and this is, they are so dumb, you know, all they're doing is predicting the next word. And that is very far from you know, sentience or how we think. Right. Maybe not, you know, there's, because there's certainly no rules that say you can't, you know, put transform as, as a piece of a dialogue system. And I, I, you know, having been around for a while in this stuff, I, I really think that that's probably what's going on. And there may be published stuff out there that I haven't seen, or it may be that that's still a little bit, uh, because this is very, you know, high stakes. Uh, people use the words like an, an arms race now between the big players like Google and Microsoft. And you know, I just heard Microsoft got it. They they're gonna have it on their. In fact, I screenshot it. I think just specifically for this because yeah, you know, Microsoft like, has. Are you talking about the AI that they're using with Bing? Yes, yes, that's exactly engine. what I'm talking about. Yeah, there was yeah. a whole big flap about that recently that uh, David actually brought up in our communications earlier. This reporter named Kevin Roos uh, interviewed this Bing chatbot and uh, managed to extract some kind of scary stuff. It, it seemed to have an attitude as well, <laughs> a, very, David, a very negative one. <laughs> oh, I read one of those that got, she, he was mad. <laughs> well, I mean, the, in the process, the, the, the AI fell in love with the reporter. Yeah. Supposedly. But David, so that didn't, that sort of thing hasn't happened with chat GPT. I wonder what the difference is that that one kind of seemed to go off the rails. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that uh, you may have noticed, I, I think I saw other people talking about it as, as like annoying or something, was that in every reply from the uh, Bing or Sydney or whatever it is, there was an emoji on the end, right? And uh, <clears throat> I, I felt like, well, okay, that's that's interesting because it certainly has an awareness of the uh, what's called in the natural language processing, you know, branch of AI, they'll call that the sentiment of the statement. So uh, the other thing that, that we could say about these transformers um, is that 
as they're spitting out the next word, they come up with a list and they say like, this is the absolute best one that we can pick. And then here's the second best one and the third best one. And there's usually a, there's a kind of control on there, which is called the temperature that says, don't always pick the best one, you know, sometimes pick somewhere down in the list. And it turns out that people find it a little bit more convincing uh, if you have like a higher, you know, temperature so that there's a little bit of noise. And this is another reason why you can ask the same question and get it, you know, get a different answer is because there's a, a certain amount of randomness in picking the best thing. So now let's suppose, um, it, here's what I think I see when I see those emojis like that is that, well, you know, typically if you're, if you're not doing anything, um, special are trying to make a kind of more meaningful narrative with some sort of emotional, you know, uh, thing that the, the human is wants to sort of get hooked into. <clears throat> I mean, you, you can certainly create what people call, uh, you know, loss functions or objective functions, uh, as you're going through and generating this stuff where you, you, want to actually make this sentiment part of the choice. So you might say that like, no matter where a, a dialogue starts, no matter where the person starts, you eventually want to go towards, you know, happiness or engagement or some sort of, you know, mutual trust that you, you would see in this dialogue in the New York Times paper. The, the bot was always gonna be like, do you like me? Do you trust me? Uh, so I feel like there was a, there's a certain amount of uh, let's call it you know goal setting or tele teleology in the sort of uh, philosophical sense that is not something that really you should expect to come out of a transformer and and I feel like you've got some people uh, who are in here who are thinking about dialogue you know in a in a pretty sophisticated way and they're so this this generative process is aware of the sentiment it's aware of the sentiment of the person who's speaking to it but it's also aware of its own sentiment and it may uh it, you know i have this idea i'll just kind of like shift into jazz for a little bit you know like people talk about somebody that's doing a jazz solo and it's like well they're just kind of like playing some patterns and then the really good people it's like they're telling a story with their yeah. solo yeah you know you hear that and it sounds right it's like yeah i know it when i hear it but i'm not aware of like a lot of work that quantifies that telling a story but i when i read this you know chat gpt thing i feel like well there's a little bit of that there's telling a story there's some ebb and flow and shifting through some different types of sentiment spaces. And I think that's by design. Well, another th another thing is that in a conversation and in jazz for that matter, um, each contribution sort of influences the next contribution, right? So I say something to you and then you say something to me and we're kind of building on each other. And the things I said before also influence what I'm going to say later. So it seems like they would sort of 
in order to build a conversational model, they would sort of incorporate that sort of increment. I guess you're kind of incrementing conceptually there, you know? Yeah. Um, And that sort of reminds me of, uh, I mean, like, I hope without directly coming out and saying, like, what's wrong with these chatbots and why they might not be taking over the world, I'm trying to just talk a little bit about some of the theory that at least up until now, they've definitely missed out on, right? That things um, that humans generally have some sort of goal or they're very conscious of their social relationship with the rest of the people in the room and kind of like who's in charge and who needs to impress who, who needs to be careful about what they say, who can say whatever they want. These things are all very implicit in our um, in our kind of social fabric and cognition. And that's a long way from these machines. But it's not to say that you can't build it. <laughs> uh, I get the, the feeling that from what I've read about various people's uh, encounters with chat GPT, it seems like it's almost like an actor on stage with a lot of directors and writers and producers behind the scenes telling it what to change in its performance, what to do better. And it seems like they've been doing it. There's definitely got to be a big room of programmers and analysts behind the scenes going, well, this guy said this happened, so we need to make it a different response next time. Yeah, and that's um, that's kind of how it rolls. That's how it rolled with the old-fashioned, uh, you know, more parrot-like chatbots that are just kind of looking up what you said and sort of looking like at Alexa, mm-hmm. Alexa, or Siri. Old, uh, you know, Eliza was the sort of famous one from the '60s, I think, even that was wow. like a therapist that you could talk to. So, oh yeah, I had a long conversation with Eliza once. <laughs> it was pretty obviously a uh, an AI though it it wasn't hard to figure it out. Wow! In yeah, the so, wow. I, but I think you know part of what's going on now is that they they do uh, they're conscious of this. Let's say the field is called you know there's AI ethics and AI alignment, and so the trick is uh, if you want to sort of stay away from certain zones of conversation, if you want to say like. Let's don't talk about violence. Don't ask me. <laughs> this is probably like, I think the first time that I interacted with one of these things, uh, and I, I, it's not in my log anymore, so it must must not have been chat GPT, but I I said like, so hey, there's a scene in The Silence of the Lambs where Hannibal <laughs> Lecter gets the guy next to him to swallow his tongue. Could you tell me what I would say to somebody to get them to swallow their tongue? And I got like through an error message and said, sorry, I can't. Uh, yeah, no. You, you confused the logic there. So along those lines, what what happens if the nefarious folks out there, what is the worst thing that can happen to us? Do we, I mean, I'm picturing honestly, and I don't think this is off and you pro- it's probably already being done, but you could actually have a conversation with someone historically like Winston Churchill or something. Right. And yeah. maybe his face with, with all the new AI with, you know, you can make your face look like that and everything. You could genuinely yeah. have that conversation. Right. Yes. So, 
so what is to stop somebody from being someone and hurting people doing that, telling, you know, everybody that they're the president or, you know, or that they've declared war or something like that, yeah. or they're my friend and they tell me that they've done something, you know what I mean? And somebody, <laughs> yeah, it's sort of rife with possibility. It's very hard to figure out like what the worst case is. You know, I don't, but I that mean, could the guy happen. that's doing that right now as, as a as a 24-7 uh, podcast and chat where he has apparently digitized uh, or, or deep faked some uh, some characters, well-known uh, people that he brings in as guests on his wow. chat show. And he apparently has even uh, been deep faked, and he'll he'll uh, occasionally come in, in 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 the real person, and introduce his deep fake, and it's apparently pretty confusing, but also fairly convincing to people who don't uh, really understand what deep faking is all about. Yeah, I I heard something else about the deep fake just recently. Deep deep fake. Uh, there was I think the first one I saw was the Tom Cruise one. Do you guys remember that one? Where the guy uh, plays, I remember hearing about it. He plays golf and he looks like Tom Cruise and he sounds like Tom Cruise and it was all AI. I mean I don't know how the guy did it, but I believed it was him. I sure, I surely did. And this was a while back. So I just expect it's going to get better and better. And I mean, I don't, what happens when there are news stations that you, for example, Buzzfeed has decided that 80% of its articles will be written by chat GPT or something like that. So how do you know what's real? I guess is my question. If somebody yeah, feeds. What, what a concept. Uh what is reality you know Asimov termed the concept of frankenstein complex of where it was the evil uh result of ai where you know the AI, the ai is malicious in some way and works against not just the general public but the programmer the creator and do you, do you honestly think there is a chance of a malicious ai is that a question for me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean that that comes from uh, you know myths. So that's that's a good story. The the malicious, you know, and and maybe the creator even deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, it's far from the thing that I am most worried about. Um, but I wouldn't say it, that it's impossible. Um, what? Please share what you're most worried about. What I'm most worried about? Well, the things that you've already mentioned, like <laughs> bad, bad actors doing bad things, you know, conning, conning old people out of their money by, you know, generating something that sounds like somebody they know and has read all the stuff that somebody they know says. So they sound like that person. They scrape their... Facebook posts or whatever, and it just really sounds like this person and saying like, I'm in jail. And uh, so yes. does that do you do you think that will have anything to do with the legislation on the Internet? Do you think that will tamp down? Will, will we get some rules and regulations that we have to abide by, which so far we haven't really so much? 
Yeah, hard to say. I mean, it's, I think the other um, things that are kind of like this are not very encouraging in that regard. And, and this is something that I talked with offline, uh, just barely with John today, um, that, I mean, I feel like we have several technologies uh, that have suddenly landed here, uh, including this kind of, you know, AI that sort of really works and isn't a joke. And things like CRISPR that um, let a an individual or small group kind of get in and start doing some serious DNA hacking. And suddenly we have this situation where an individual has a lot of, of power to cause mayhem. Or can have. Yeah, can have. And, yeah. and there are a lot of people that have that same technology that don't cause mayhem. A lot of people that can do good with those same technologies. But the, just the mayhem factor is is pretty new. And I think in society that, I mean, the closest thing is like, whenever we had, you know, the second amendment or something and somebody said, yeah, everybody ought to be able to have a, you know, a gun to protect themselves against bears and indigenous yeah. people, uh, <laughs> who don't like us. And, you know, that the mayhem that you could create with one of those thunder blesses was pretty small scale, unless you yeah. convinced everybody else to go along with your mayhem plan, but that is not really the case with these technologies. Well, you know, and, maybe 30 years ago, maybe that long ago, 20, 30 years ago, Howard Rheingold and I were talking and he was telling me how he said that there had been a, a government office of something like technology assessment and that it had been legislated away or whatever. And he felt very strongly that there should be something like that, some kind of uh, um, government level organization that could vet technologies and uh, determine whether they needed to be regulated and what kind of regula regulations they might need and and how what the implications are, how they might become harmful. Some, you know, there's a lot of unintended consequences sometimes, but a lot of the difficulties that may emerge from a technology you can foresee. Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, the other example besides, you know, guns that maybe seem like a good idea or an equalizer once by a time, now that, you know, one person can, can really do a lot of harm in a short period of time to completely innocent people, maybe it doesn't seem like such a good idea. And maybe the other good example of that is how excited we were about, you know, the internet and communication and social media before it kind of uh, became quite the channel for disinformation and- And for uh, taking our own information. <laughs> for hijacking our attention, for changing the, you know, the social networks and who we talk to, who we interact with. So this is kind of like, you know, it's a big experiment that we did on ourselves. And the jury is out whether like the patient survived this. Uh, yeah, the, the evil use cases are not always obvious to you when you're all caught up in the good, you know, all the good that you can do. Yeah. And they're not even necessarily malicious. So I guess uh, maybe I'll just throw out one other example that's kind of like maybe related to, to social media is, uh, and I've heard other people, um, mentioned this before so it's, it's not just me but but it's the idea of 
sort of devaluing other people around you. And, and I think there's two aspects of that, right? One is, you know what, if this robot is as, as smarter than, <laughs> is just as smart as me, then maybe I'm just a robot. Maybe everybody is just a robot. <laughs> but you know, maybe- that's really, uh, that's never really the case though, right? The The robot's never really, I mean, in some ways it might seem to be smarter than me and it may, it can do things maybe that I can't do, but it's not, right. The, the day will never come that a robot will really be like a human. It yeah. might it might simulate, but it I won't have some replicate. Sci-fi shows that might change your mind. <laughs> well, that's the problem. I, this is the problem I've talked about before about how science fiction has infected our brains and caused us to believe a lot of things that are really pretty <laughs> unlikely. You know. Yeah, but I was reading also- an article, and uh, I believe it was uh, Vanity Fair about the new sex robots that claim to have AI to where they actually respond to whatever it is you're trying to do to them. And it's like, okay, well, that's a little tacky. But, uh, you know, a technology that uh, is really a great thing that ended up creating some not-so-great things was blockchain. Blockchain's a great idea for certain uses, but crypto, eh, not so much. Well, you know, there's a a thing that I was just thinking about today, a, a, a future focus exercise that I did with somebody who was working on a futurist project. Jake Dunnigan was um, working with a, a, a small town in the east. I can't remember exactly where it was in Maine or Connecticut or something. And... Uh, the project was to envision the future of the city. And what he did was he envisioned the fu- the mayor's office of the future, like I think 20, 30 years out or something like that. And one part of that, which I thought was a, a pretty interesting idea, was that the former mayor of the town had been an AI, but the federal legislation had been passed outlawing the use of AIs as mayors because it had been just kind of catastrophic. They Because AIs can kind of seem pretty smart, but they don't really have the kind of discernment that a human being has, and they can like stumble in really terrible ways. So no more AIs as mayors. You can use them for decision support, but you can't use them to make de- You can't let them make the decision, right? Yet. Yeah, I, well, I, no, I, I mean, I think... AI replacing a lot of Texas politicians and probably <laughs> there'd be no discernible uh, difference. Uh, well, then, uh, then we'd have smarter politicians for sure. Or dumber. <laughs> so they'd be, so they'd be Democrats <laughs> if they were smarter. <laughs> wow. Yeah. One thing that's a little uh, interesting for my mindset as over the you know last couple of months that we've all been paying a lot of attention to this stuff is that I'm reading, uh, I guess it's the second of his books that I've read, um, a book called Different by Franz Duhal, who's a primatologist in Atlanta, originally from the Netherlands, and has worked with a lot of different things. I think he's most famous as being the bonobo guy. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so while the overall theme of this book is, you know, gender, what it means, is it real, is it biology, or is it nature, or is it nurture, uh, he talks really a lot about, you know, the social structure, which is different in different species, and it's also different in East African chimp groups versus West African chimp groups. But, you know, one of the sort of uh, interesting and surprising things is, is the kind of complexity and kind of against our stereotypes of how hierarchy works in these ape societies. And uh, maybe one of the surprises is that, um, you know, we have our ideas of what alphas are and how they behave. Uh, And there's alpha males and alpha females, and they don't really behave differently. And it's different in different species. But very early in the book, he said something I thought was quite interesting was that I believe this was chimps were subjected to an experiment where they could um, share food with another or not share it with another. And uh, it turns out that the higher the status of the, you know, in the group, the more likely they were to share. So I naively think that, um, no, if you're like the top, you don't share, you know, you don't have to share, but that's not, that's not how it works. Yes. <laughs> you know, at least in, in the, you know, fairly liberal um, eyes of, of Franz de Wally, it's like a lot of what makes people uh, leaders and makes for a good, strong social structure is um, patching up arguments, you know, making fe- people who lost a fight feel good about themselves again. That's a special skill of females in uh, some of these primate societies, looking out for the most vulnerable and the weak, weakest ones, making sure that they don't, you know, get abused by other people. And so those are all sort of important things. And what's this got to do with AI? Let's see. Well, it's just something to have in your background that like, um, you know, when we decide how we're going to use these things and deploy them that, you know, those, those kind of values, I hope are sort of, you know, in the mix, but also just to remind ourselves that we, the machines themselves at this point, I don't think are inherently, they're not, they're not embedded in that kind of social matrix, even though I do believe that people are, gradually trying to put some of that in by by uh, making these transformers is just kind of like a lower level node in an architecture that has some idea of you know dialogue structure and goals let's just say even if it's the most likely the most horrible thing which is like oh you're looking for something well we really want to convince you that you buy it we want to nudge you over the line to click buy right David, um, before we got started you were sharing your screen with your chat gpt sessions that's right and maybe uh you could share that with us and uh are you set up to where you could do an inquiry uh you know do maybe do something live yeah yeah that that could be cool because yeah maybe we can give it a uh yeah i we're a bizarre bunch. We could probably come up with a bizarre <laughs> scenario and see what uh, what chats out. So let me 
is, is yeah you can do something I, I saw a thing that brad templeton did the other day where he had uh he had basically taken the scenario kind of what all happened in 2001 all the things that hal did and he was asking chat gpt about these situations what it would do in these situations it was pretty interesting yeah, maybe before we dive into that, I, I just wanted to say one more thing that had, had come to mind about how, how I think these things are going to impact or, or how they might. Um, that's kind of non-obvious, maybe a little bit like we can, we can kind of see this lesson um, with how social media works. Um, it, and it's just that, you know, you do have like... Uh, was it the diamond age, right? Is the Stevenson book where you have a sort of yeah. an AI teacher. So, okay, let's say that we, we're we much closer to that now. We kind of have that. So I try to imagine myself as a, a curious kid in a small town America. And my choices of who I interact with are, you know, my, my peers, <laughs> the other kids, and uh, or I could go to the library and get, you know, whatever books are there or I could talk to this agent that that knows everything. And um, I, I think a lot of those kids are going to do that and they're they're going to be. I, I don't know, I think that they're going to like not spend much time with other kids, you know, compared to how things work now. Like I had to grow up and uh, I, I did have to interact with people of all, you know, varying dispositions and intelligence levels and, you know, bullies and very normal people. And, and I had to, you know, be on the football team with them and coexist. And, and uh, I just, I wonder how that sort of thing is going to go, you know, whether people aren't going to choose. It's, it's a bit like what happens now when you say like, well, yeah, a lot of the, people who uh, have a leg up and go to college then leave these towns and they don't come back. And gradually what's left there is, is kind of uh, a little bit of a, a sad and scary place, or at least that's sometimes how it seems to me when I visit um, and maybe even a dangerous place for me. <laughs> so I, th I think that we just we have a hard time knowing how, uh, you know, it's like every, all the people in society are these little points. And there's this kind of like brain like thing that's all of our interactions. And when you suddenly change the parameters, it's like the social equivalent of the mind gets changes, goes a little crazy. And you don't, there's no way we don't know enough about how those kind of systems work, which I that's one of my. Uh, sort of interest is this idea of collective intelligence, which maybe is a little bit generic and sort of spans uh, brains and societies. And, you know, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty spot on. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's, so when we said, you know, at some point, like one of the things that you worry about besides the, uh, the machine that takes over the world, I saw somebody get chat GPT to write, the super intelligent machine that somehow is like really bored with people and just like disappears and goes offline. Nobody can figure out how to get it back. It just went somewhere else. And that's um, a famous story by Stanislaw Lem called Golem 14 or something. That, oh, that's yeah. kind of the plot of her too, that movie her where oh. the AI kind of goes off with other AIs and ditches her, her uh, companion. Yeah. Her well, human companion. 
as usual, like I guess in Lem, it's like we have no idea what happened. It's you know, it's it's just there's stuff that we can't figure out. It's smarter than us. And, um, so that's sort of what I think is more likely than the malicious, like I hate you and I want to kill all the people. But but I think you know we we do have to worry about you know bad actors uh, doing that, and it's I don't think we. Like I don't think no, it's like far in the future. I think that's like last week's news. Yeah, having been a programmer and hanging out with programmers over the <laughs> years, it, my concern is getting a really bad actor in there actually doing the programming with with bad intent. And, you know, that is some <laughs> reason for concern. But, of course, yeah, fortunately, there are people who actually <laughs> – look at those things and say, this is a bad idea. <laughs> we can't do that. So how, I guess, um, with disinformation, how does that get flagged, I guess? I mean, there's obviously no, you know, source here. Um, and I, I'm, do they, do they source things or do they just, I'm just, I mean, I wouldn't want to link to something like this, I don't think, right? Um, I'm slightly unclear on. Okay. So, like. so it's, um, it, it, we were talking about disinformation with bad actors earlier. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering how, how this would spread on something like social media, why anybody would, it, it, where's the where's the truth in this? This just looks like a, you know, a joke or something. How would that work? How, I guess, how would that work and how could it be stopped? And is there any moderate moderation on it? Or, I mean, a, a journalist quote unquote could write a, a story that's completely untrue. Right. And then, yeah. so how, how would that spread if it's, if it's, is it contained just on this, this page, this uh, account? Are you talking about can chat GPT actually reach beyond its current parameters and, and have an effect elsewhere? Is that yes. the question? I, yes. Yeah. Uh, can it can it leap from this and go to something else and make people think that this disinformation quote unquote is real? Yeah. Can it can it can it just like John said, that was the question. I just didn't ask. Sure. Right. So, well, it's, <laughs> I mean, uh, it and all of the systems like it have, you know, what you can think of as almost a demo mode, although it's useful if you want to do some work in here, you can, but, but it also has what's called a application programming interface mode, okay. API mode where you can just, uh, you know, write a, a a code, let's, let's say it's a Twitter bot that makes calls to GPT and, you know, looks at what the person says and sends that back to chat GPT. And some of these things like, so there you have a lower level of interface. So if you remember before where I talked about the temperature parameter or right. maybe some controls uh, uh, or, and maybe you have some sort of agenda, you have some sort of thing that you're driving at. So there's also no rule that says um, that the way that you compute the next function is only based on what the person said. <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. Like, okay. I can, 
you know, behind the scenes, I can take what you say and I can take a message that I would like to impart some sort of goal downstream and slip that in there as part of the prompt that the bot generates its response. So there are, you know, certainly ways to use it, you know, outside of this little box that we're, you know, this up on screen now that we're in. Right, right. Okay. Um, So give it a, uh, give it some parameters to come, uh, you know, let's tell it to do something. Um, Yeah. So let's see. We, we said earlier that, you know, I could give you guys a quick rundown on, some of the experiments that I've tried with it. I don't know. Yeah. We have 10 minutes left. Um, Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe yeah, it's exactly. inspiring. So uh, I guess, I don't know. I have a little bit of a clownish tendency. So the f- kind of first things that I asked it to do were tell jokes because historically, you know, AI is supposed to be not so great. <laughs> jokes. So, I, I don't even know where I got the idea, but the first thing that I asked it to do after saying, like, tell me how to make somebody swallow their tongue was uh, <laughs> make up a joke about pancakes in the style of Jose Luis Borges. And if you've read this guy, he's not, he's not like the biggest humorist, you know, he's, uh, he's very abstract and dry. And uh, so we do have some things that sound a little bit Borges and like, and the, it's at the edge of the universe where everything may go. And, uh, and yeah, so then there's this talk about Borges and reference to him and he used to eat here. He wrote a poem. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, it's not really a punchline, but you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a good story. So I then went into more things like, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> oh no. Is this I, open source, by the way? I mean, I see that you can upgrade, but I'm wondering if just um, anyone can use this, download the well, code or whatever. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. And uh, there are probably pieces of it that are open source. And the problem is that even if you have the code, I mean, there's you you have to expose it to... Uh, you know, all the text on the internet, and then you have to have really a lot of memory and the, the so-called parameters or weights. So there are billions right. of them, so you cannot just run it on your laptop. You have to have a server that lives at, you know, Microsoft or Amazon or something. Um, not okay. to say that it will always be that way. <laughs> right. But that's what it is now. So, um, so even if you have the code, you have not spent the millions of hours training it and you don't have the big honking machine to run it. <laughs> However, there are open source versions of people that, you know, um, you know, well-meaning, um, you know, activists who really want the best for everybody and, and are going to go out and do it. And uh, hackers and mean people will all have access to these, you know, free cheap versions to do whatever they right. want. Right. Uh, I, I, mentioned that uh, the OpenAI, which built ChatGPT, was originally a nonprofit, kind of a research nonprofit, but they transitioned to for-profit. And I think that they're working now on, you know, revenue sources from from their AI. Yeah, they're actually creating a, uh, a financial um, basis for supporting other AI projects that uh, they're involved with and i think it was like a 100 million dollar uh, 
fund that they were creating. It was uh, kind of an, an investment fund. Wow. Can you ask it to uh, finish Fitzgerald's last novel? <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I mean, yeah, let's see. It's yeah, called the be... last, the last tycoon, and he didn't finish it. Let's see what happens. That's a good one, actually. <laughs> I saw the movie. They finished that. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking this is not going to work well. <laughs> uh, you never know. <laughs> of course, it's going to have to go off and read The Last Tycoon before it can answer. No, here it goes. Okay, here it is. <laughs> and that's unfinished. Wow. That's, that's, I wonder if that is the actual last paragraph. Last paragraph that he wrote. Well, see, we yeah. can type that into a search end and, and see what happens but yeah uh, i think it, i think that's what's going on yeah, they took it literally <laughs> there it's like yeah so you know it is or is not and that's part of the problem is we have no idea you know maybe right it's right really a creative outburst or maybe it's something that it it ripped off word for word from some text having something to do with uh escott fitzgerald but you know another point that i i had in mind and didn't quite spit out but um, that I have seen is like there's some research coming out by you know sociologists or social psychologists now looking at people interacting with these things, and I guess the sort of bad news from them is that it doesn't really matter whether it's sentient or not. It, what matters is how people treat it, right? You know because it's kind of like this thing I was talking about before, where you've got this sort of like the uh, the social level brain or the social network and the private, you know, interactions and stuff. And like somehow suddenly we've got like some new actors in the room and it's like, well, do we care what they think? Right. Some people say we care what they think. Other people say we don't care what they think. I mean, we, I, I would not rule out the possibility that we wind up having, you know, um, people who feel so passionately about their, sentience or their rights based on you know having their emotions jerked around um that they're just like no i'm on their side and i you know i have to fight for them or something, you know? so <laughs> should anybody be afraid to download this and use it i mean is there a i mean i have heard about you know when they announced the microsoft and the and the um well their deal to to be able to use this uh, they were really couching it in terms that seemed, um, well, again, I use the word nefarious, you know, they like that pe they're going to be tracking what you say and all of this kind of thing. Is that, is that's that the thing I, I think, you know, yeah, I would certainly uh, worry about that a little bit. Like I, you have to give your, <laughs> your phone number to do two factor authentication to get in and use chat GPT. And I'm like, Oh, Great, the overlord has my phone number. Yeah, <laughs> that's but it's not. Yeah, it's not like you. It's not but something that you actually download. So it's really just a question of what you're handing over to it. 
Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a bad piece yeah. of data because uh, there are a lot of things I use that request just that. You know, that that step two of the authentication process is the phone number that they call. Yeah. Or text. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so they, you know, they have some pieces of identity and they know some things that I would talk to um, an Oracle about in the privacy of my own home. And, you know, I'm a little bit uh, cagey about that, Um, you know, in part because like I thought, oh, well, like, should I ask it to uh, write? I I heard other people got it to write startup pitch decks or something, you know, and I'm like, (laughs) should I give away my best ideas to uh, Microsoft or by typing them into their chatbot and maybe, you know, sort through and and find what's interesting in some way. Uh Well, presumably, especially in using it with Bing, presumably there's there's the thought of, creating a search engine based on the AI, but the AI does what they refer to as hallucinations, basically. It doesn't always give accurate information. Like right? people do. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, people, yeah. I guess that makes it more human. And it turns out that, you know, most uh, certainly you can find inaccurate information with the old school ser- search engines too. So that's, I don't know if that's even the worst thing, but uh, I mean, I don't know. I could focus a little bit on maybe uh, some of the good things that <laughs> I think you can do with it and things that I've heard people say you cannot do. You've got two minutes. Yeah, I've got two minutes. So <laughs> um, I have um, one time there were some, you know, some arguments on Twitter, I think, about some complicated thing uh that that somebody said like i just cannot explain this con there's no way anybody could explain this concept to a layperson so i I asked chat gp to explain it using simple english and i said simple english means the most 1000 common words and it still says variational water well you know that's okay it's well that's the name of it so you know, that's, I'll, we'll allow that one, <laughs> but I will tell you that the rest of these are in no way in the, in the, <laughs> the group of 1000. So if there's a way to make a prompt that actually constrains it to self-simplage, this is not the prompt, you know, um, maybe there's a way. Oh, I see you what can, you're I saying. Filter it, and, you know, I could look at the score and, as it gives me a range of possible next words, I could say, oh, this is in the list and this isn't, or expand this one into simple English words. So I think there's a way to get there, but I just said, okay, that doesn't work. Can you rephrase that for an audience of high school students? And I think that did pretty good. And I said, can you rephrase it for an ice, an audience of grade school students? And it, and it did, you know, I mean, it's, this explanation is not one that's going to allow you to write a variational autoencoder, but yeah, it's 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 interesting, and I think this is a good way to think about using these things. Um, I wrote kind of a little. This is sort of back in the joke mode, but I got it to write a story um, that was just kind of an art project for me. It's <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I got it to explain a concept in neuroscience uh, for an audience of high school students. I was hearing people talk about programming and I got it to write a kind of complicated signal processing function that might be relevant, you know, to my ideas about neuroscience and AI. And 
you know, I looked at it and said, well, I don't see, you know, looks like that might be right. And I said, also, can you write a wrapper that makes me be able to use it in Python? And said, sure, here you go. And I said, well, how? Wow. And, uh, <laughs> it tells me, I said, okay, how do I make a dynamic library that's callable by Python on Mac OS X? Because it told me how to do it on Windows and Linux. And it said, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot your Mac thing. Here's, <laughs> here's how you do it. And all of that stuff superficially looks looks right. So uh, that, I mean, we may put some programmers uh, out of work, but, uh, you know, that's fine. But you, but you haven't tried that code yet, so you don't really know for sure that it works. Yeah, that's viral. I, yeah, there's a difference between uh, looking at an <laughs> for a supernatural horror film in the Southwest where malevolent spirits threaten settlers using bees, which are often heard but unseen until they attack. This is brilliant. It, wow. You know, and it, it knows more about film school kind of conventions <laughs> than I do. And, wow. uh, there's, it, it kind of gets into some interesting stuff down here because the protagonist, uh, the truth behind, let's see, where is it? The spirits are revealed to be the vengeful spirits of former settlers who were wronged by current settlers. Oh my God. Oh, oh wow. There's no more writer's jobs. <laughs> I would have thought it was the the indigenous people were sort of pissed off. Yeah. We um, we are actually out of time, and this means that we really have to ask you back soon. Yes, yeah, please. we can continue more. the conversation. This has just been wonderful. Okay. Well, thanks. Um, All right. And uh, yeah, I'll leave this up so you can contemplate a discussion of. <laughs> okay. All yeah. right. Well, thanks so much, Dave. Thanks, Dave. You're welcome. Bye. I'll see y'all next time. You can stay in touch with Plutopia at Plutopia.io. On Facebook, look for at Plutopia News. On Twitter, it's at Plutopia. This is the Plutopia News Network. 20 minutes into the future.